Well, it's August here at Red, which means that it's August Pledge Drive. So if you call Red home, we'd love you to pray about seeding the next season as we pledge our next 12 months of giving. So if you're not giving, you can start giving, you can continue your current giving, or if you feel the Lord leading you, you can increase your giving. So head to the Red Connect page, click on the pledge tile, and pledge what you're going to give in the next 12 months as we seed the next season of what God is doing here at Red. Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to Connect Hey guys, it's so good to have you join us today. My name's Andy. If you haven't met me, it's a pleasure to share with you. And I hope we all walk away from this blessed, enriched by what God has to say. Now, if you don't know much about me, here's an icebreaker. I'm actually an identical twin. Yes, as scary as that thought is, there is someone else with the exact same DNA running around this planet. Now, a question I often get asked is, what's it like being a twin? It's a hard one to answer. My immediate response is, what's it like to not be a twin? But one of the things that has definitely marked my life as a twin is the natural comparisons it draws. Who's a better footy player? Who's better at Mario Kart? Who can eat the most chicken schnitzels at dinner? As benign as those sounds, comparisons tend to actually make their mark on us. Today's society is actually geared towards comparison. I'm not sure if you've looked around you, but we can spend all day here in Melbourne talking about who makes the best croissant. We can spend hours scrolling our social media feeds comparing ourselves to others. We have Eastern European meerkats telling us to compare the market. Everywhere we look, we are faced with comparisons. Most of them are benign. Do I want the beef burrito or do I want the chicken burrito? Do I prefer this season's bachelor to the last season's bachelor? However, comparisons can actually have insidious effects and can make their marks on our lives. It can trap us, it can consume us. Ultimately, it holds us back from who we really can be. Two examples in the Bible clearly show what comparison can do to our lives. In Genesis 4, we see Cain and Abel bring their offerings before the Lord. The Lord looked down with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And now we come to Luke chapter 18, starting from verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, 
Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. These two scriptures seem unconnected and they may not have much to do with each other, but to me they're more than just cautionary tales. They reflect a spiritual battle that rages within us. Let's break down what comparison can do to our lives and how these verses help paint a picture of that. To me, it shows a spectrum that we all exist on, we all live in. At the bottom of this spectrum, we have Cain and the elevation of others. In this scripture, we see Cain come up short. He gives in to his anger, but God has been imploring him. Sin is crouching at your door. Do not give in. It seeks to have you. Rule over it. However, he gives in and the disastrous consequences of the first murder. But we've all been there, not killing our own brother, I hope. But we've all been there when we come up short. Someone always seems to be better than us, more talented, better looking, better dressed. It's hard to deal with. And when we place others above us, against ourselves, it can express itself in things like self-pity, envy, false humility. Oh, that person's so much better. I don't need to do that. Don't worry about me, guys. I'm great. We begin to critique ourselves. Why can't I be like them? Have you ever asked that question to yourself? I know I have. And we come across the Pharisee at the top of that spectrum, the elevation of self. This scripture almost explains itself. This sentiment is particularly loud in today's age. It's almost like a broken record. I'm so glad I'm not like other people. Oh, those really bad people? Nah, I'm not like that. I'm a good person. It's an intoxicating thing and it's very easy to drink. When we elevate ourselves above others, it's expressed as pride. We get self-righteous. We see ourselves as the epitome of goodness and greatness and everyone else does not compare. We begin to critique others. Why can't they just be like me? How come that person isn't as patient as I am? How come that person always struggles with the same thing? Can't they learn? Can't they grow? We begin to become callous and hardened. We begin to lack compassion towards other people. Have you been there? I know I have. In fact, I go through both of these constantly, every day. I can throw the best pity party you've ever seen. Back when I was a lot younger, I used to compare myself to others constantly. Always felt like I came up short. Always felt like I just didn't get it. If I could just be a little bit better at this, a little bit stronger, a little bit smarter, then I could be a person I'm happy with. But as I began to grow and mature, I sometimes swung the other way, losing my patience with others, not wanting to offer a hand because I'm too busy pointing a finger at them. It's actually exhausting. I think you know what I'm talking about. We all exist on this spectrum. Its effects just send us wayward. We get lost. We, we're not sure of who we are. I'd like to turn to a scripture in Samuel, which I think really gives us a combination of what can happen when we let comparison reach that boiling point. 
So let's take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the Israelites come before Samuel and ask to now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to that all the people are saying to you, it's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of his chariots. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. As we can see, Israelites became so caught up with wanting to be like all the other nations. They looked around and wondered, why don't we have a king? Why don't we have what everyone else has? The real tragedy is that the Israelites had this unique calling. They were called to be this display nation, to show all the other people and nations around them the goodness and the glory of God. That was their calling. That was their mission. It was a part of their identity. And yet here they are wanting to be like all the other nations. They didn't need a king. They had the most high to reign over them. This ultimately leads them to bad king after bad king, driving them further and further away from that calling and eventually leading into exile, not really knowing who they are. As with Israel, we lose sight of ourselves. We're sent into some sort of exile of comparison. It happens as a culmination of giving into both self-pity and self-righteousness. Self-pity, it leads to paralysis. We see someone better than us. We feel like we don't measure up and we ask ourselves, why try? Someone's always going to do it better. I don't need to do it. However, self-righteousness can lead us to stagnate. When we think ourselves better than others, we begin to rest on our laurels. There's that easy temptation to just think and to feel good about ourselves when we compare ourselves to others and not doing the hard work of searching ourselves and seeing where we fall short or where we can improve. We say to ourselves, oh, I don't need to try. I tend to be better than most people at it anyway. Very easy trap to fall into. So the tragedy that the Israelites come through becomes our tragedy, become exiled, lost, the best of us taken because we're caught in this carousel of comparison. It's exhausting. And I think it's a ride that we all want to get off of. But the question is how? How do we begin to break that cycle? How do we begin to see beyond that? The answer lies in a very unlikely verse. And it's found in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Seems like a bit of a weird one to think about comparisons. But when you think deeper and look into that scripture, it becomes this 
beautiful, liberating paradox where we can't measure up to Christ. We can't measure up to his glory. None of us can. None of us fall any more short or any less short. We just fall short. Isn't that a relief? We come before Christ, each and every one of us. We realize our true standing. Self-pity or self-righteousness actually turns into this self-reflection. We're drawn towards him because we know that we can't compare to him. And this is where we begin when we can combat comparison by pursuing Christ-likeness. We combat comparison when we pursue Christ-likeness. So how does that look in our lives? Thankfully, Paul gives us this precedence as we reach towards Christ. We find that in the 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 11, just one verse. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, in the New King James Version, it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is providing a model for all of us. Wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves on that spectrum, whether we're in self-pity, self-righteousness, or both, as I often am. It seems a bit silly to imitate ourselves or want to imitate Christ. Again, it seems fruitless. But it does begin with fixing our gaze on him. As we see in Hebrews 12, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Just as I have this DNA facsimile of myself to compare to, we actually have this great advantage of God among us in Christ. His life on earth being for us this perfect example to follow and imitate as we strive towards him. We begin to relinquish ourselves to the process of spiritual formation. We see more ways we need to become like him. We see flaws in our own lives that we need to improve, that we can pray over, that we can spend time with God over. It's as we've mentioned, it's, it's part of that abiding and renewing process, spending time with Christ and letting him work on us bit by bit, day by day. And we actually realise it's a lifelong work. This doesn't happen suddenly. But over time, this erodes the competitiveness that comparison has. So we stop comparing ourselves to others and we start to see each other side by side, fixing our eyes on Christ together. And as we do this together, we look upwards at people who are imitating Christ that we can imitate. Take a moment to think about the people in your life that inspire you, that encourage you, that provide an example to live more Christ-like. And then when you turn on the other side, you see people who may not be as further along in the journey to you, who have similar or different struggles in that journey, but instead of being calloused and, and lacking compassion, you want to spur them on to further Christ-likeness because we're side by side fixing our gaze. Can you think about people in your life that you've encouraged, that you've decided to spur on, that you pray over, that you spend time with in the presence of God, in his word? 
we begin to want to we begin to want to see each other succeed in that race because we all have that race to run that's the beauty of it there is a race marked out for you it's not marked out for someone else who you think is better than you it's not marked out for someone who you may consider less than you it's your race no one else is going to run it for you and we find that we find a deeper meaning of our calling the making of who we are, our identity, our mission, the people that we do life with. Simply God regains the best of us. However, we can't escape comparison. It's part of being human. It's part of our fallen nature. It's always going to be there. But it can distract us. It can happen at any stage of our lives, whether... We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we're at the top of our game. Now, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Leo Delibes. He's a composer from the uh, 19th century. He wrote quite a bit, some, some well-known stuff, some not. You'll probably know the flower duet if you've heard it. But one of his pieces was for a ballet called Sylvia. I haven't seen it. Don't tell my wife. She's a bit of a ballet nerd. Um, but it was a very popular ballet for its music. It had a lot, of, a lot of praise. In particular, one person felt so strongly about it that when writing to a friend, he said, what charm, what grace, what melodic, rhythmic, and harmonic richness. I was ashamed. If I had known this music earlier, then of course I would not have written Swan Lake. Now, I'm pretty sure whether you're not into classical music or you are, you know who Tchaikovsky is. He's a household name. He's a bit of one of those giants up there with Bach and Beethoven. You've probably heard all of Swan Lake through advertisements, cartoons, uh, any amount of things. You've heard the Nutcracker at Christmas time. He's just someone that you know. It's like, oh, yeah, the Beatles. I don't listen to them, but I know who they are. Himself, one of the greatest composers of all time, still fell prey to comparison. Could you imagine if he didn't write Swan Lake, that what he would have denied the world? What are you denying the world when you're distracted by comparison? You have your part to play and you have your race to run. So I encourage you to try and get off that carousel and fix your eyes on Christ. Look for others to imitate and encourage others to imitate you as you imitate Christ.